All right, I'd invite you to take your Bibles if you have them with, or if you don't, there are some under the uh, seats where you are, and you could follow along this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, looking at the story of the wise men who came to Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, I'd like to read this passage for us as we begin. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, and of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Father, when we think of this account of the wise men coming to Jesus, it is an amazing story of those who you spoke to in their own language, in their own way, and who saw a sign from you, and who came wanting to know more, wanting to know who this child was. And Father, I pray that you would continue to do that in our world and our hearts, that we, like the wise men, would come and bow down before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed how people can react to the same event in different ways? I mean, we see it all the time when it comes to sports. You know, there's football games going on, and after the game's done, you know, one side is elated, they're excited about the victory, and the other side is kind of bummed or disappointed at what happened that day. But we also see it sometimes in family events. For example, Tim Timmons is a Christian author, and he was telling about when they had their first child, he was so excited. I mean, he and his wife were ready. They had gone through the classes, you know, to do the breathing exercises and all the techniques that you're supposed to do to get through childbirth. And then the bag was packed and it was ready. It was in the bedroom there just to grab and go. Uh, he knew the shortest way to the hospital, exactly how long it would take. And when their baby boy was born, he was so excited. He said, I practically did cartwheels down the hallway. Uh, he kept taking pictures of everything. He took so many pictures, he said, my son probably thought his dad had a camera for a nose. He's just, you know, taking all these shots before they even made it out of the hospital. 
Well, in contrast, I have a good friend. His name is Steve, and he grew up in International Falls, Minnesota, and he's one of those guys who's kind of like this stoic Norwegian. Remember the day after they had their first child, he came into our uh, small group, and he announced that, yep, had a baby last night. You know, kind of said in a way like you might say, yeah, changed my oil yesterday on the car, you know, and, and just took care of things. And I could tell he was excited, but that's just the way Steve is. He's just kind of, you know, easygoing, no matter what was going on in his life. But when I think about the birth of Jesus Christ, when it comes to his birth, people have very different reactions as well. And we see that in this story, and we still see that in our world today. And we're going to take a look at those responses here that Matthew records for us. You see, some people are troubled by the birth of Jesus. And we see that when we look at Herod and his response here. It says in verses 1 to 3 that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, these magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And in verse 3 it said, when King Herod heard why they had come, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Now this particular Herod was the first of a line of kings with that surname or family name Herod. There would be several Herods, which is one of those things that would be a little confusing as you go along in the New Testament. Okay, which Herod are we talking about? Well, this is Herod the Great. And uh, he was not a Jew. Herod was an Edomian, which means he was from the line of Esau, or the Edomites, ancient enemies of Israel going back as these two different nations developed and would fight against one another. Why was he king of Israel or Judah then? Well, he was born in 73 BC and he was appointed king of Judea and Samaria by Rome in 40 BC. They took him, a little bit of an insult to the Jewish people to have this Idumean as the king, but they saw in him someone that they could work with, and by 37 B.C., Herod had crushed all of his foes. He was known for his political savvy. Uh, he was shrewd. He collaborated with Rome in order to keep his position of power. As long as he was faithful or loyal to them, he could remain in power, and he enjoyed that advantage. He was known for his remarkable architecture. He built temples for Greek and Roman gods. He built palaces in different parts of Israel. He built fortresses that he could go to. He built theaters and sports arenas for the people to enjoy. He even rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. That was a project that would start in 20 B.C. and continue 84 years. Long after his death, it continued. And it was paid for by heavy taxation. You can go to Israel today and you can see the ruins of these uh, great uh, structures that he built. And you can go and you can see the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. And you look at the size of those stones. Some of them are about as big as a city bus. And you just marvel at how did they move them into place. How did they cut these stones and fashion them so that they fit together so perfectly? It is truly an amazing feat of architecture. But Herod was also ruthless. He was like a Hitler or a Stalin. I mean, he didn't care who he killed who would get in his way. 
In fact, he ordered his wife and two sons to be killed when he suspected them of plotting against him, along with 300 of their supporters. When he was 70 and nearing death, he's ill, uh, there were two rabbis in the city of Jerusalem who stirred up some men to remove and tear down a metal Roman eagle that Herod had put over the entrance to the temple gate. It was a symbol of Rome's power over God. So here's this uh, Roman eagle that is an offense to the Jews. And when Herod found out who it was that did that, he had them burned alive. Five days before he died, he had his eldest son killed for attempting to poison him. Not a lot of love in that family, was there? You know, it's just these things going on. So it is not surprising that he would view this news about the birth of a king as a threat. Neither is it surprising that he would order the death of every male child in Bethlehem that was two years old or younger. What a sad, sad situation. And verses 7 and 8 are part of Herod's plot. When he heard about this news and he called the Magi secretly to come and found out from them exactly when the star had appeared, which is probably why he said the age of two and younger, And he sent them to Bethlehem and he said, when you find this child, come back to me so that I too may go and worship him. He had no intention at all of worshiping this newborn king. He just wanted to find out who he was so he could remove him. You know, there are people today who also want no part of the birth of Jesus. In the city of Wakanda, Illinois, For more than 40 years, citizens in that town had turned out each Christmas as the city put a lighted cross on the water tower. And it was something that, again, had been done for many years. People enjoyed that. And then one day, a man who was an atheist contacted the American Civil Liberties Union. He said he was offended by this cross, and so he wanted it torn down. Well, they filed suit against the city. The city leadership looked at that, thought, you know, in this day and age, that's probably not a case we're going to win, and it's going to cost us a lot of money to fight, and so they decided to take the cross down. What happened instead, though, was about 200 people in the town decided that they would put a cross on their home or their business, or their barn. And so instead of one cross in that town, now this particular person had to see about 200 crosses that were all over town as people did that on their private property. I remember a story a few years ago in St. Paul, too, or in City Hall. They were, uh, somebody had complained about poinsettias that were there at City Hall, thinking that they were a Christian symbol. Nobody knew for sure what it was, but what they ended up doing as sort of a compromise was you couldn't have the red poinsettias, but you could have the white ones, because nobody could figure out how that was a Christian symbol. And, and you know, there was an editor to the paper was writing about this, and he goes, we've kind of moved in our culture to where we've given veto power to somebody who has a complaint. If somebody doesn't like it, Okay, I guess we got to remove it instead of enjoying the reason for the season or the diversity of the people that we have in our land. In the Soviet Union, they also tried to stamp out any belief in God. There was a young woman, Irina, 
who became a Soviet dissident and a poet. When she was a young girl, she said, we were drilled in school over and over again, we're told, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. And she had no reason to believe that there was a God. I mean, she had no Sunday school. She had never seen a Bible. She had no Christian influence or no tracts, no missionaries that ever talked to her about this. But through the process of a child's clean logic, God made himself known to her. She began to think there must be a God. Otherwise, they wouldn't tell us over and over again that there is no God. (laughs) And much later in her 20s, when she finally got hold of a Bible, she realized that the God of the Scriptures was the God that she had met in her childhood. And then she realized that I was a Christian. Why do some people want to remove any trace of Christianity from our government or schools or public places? It's because they are troubled by the birth of Christ, just like Herod was. But secondly, we see another response here. that Some people are indifferent to the birth of Jesus, and we see that in verses 4 and 4 to 6. It's the religious leaders, surprisingly, who seem to have this indifference to Jesus. I mean, when you look at verse 4, you see that Herod called together the people's priests and he asked them, where was this child going to be born? And they knew the answer. Uh, They said, in Bethlehem in Judea. And they quoted the the passage from Micah that said, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They knew the scriptures. They understood that here was this prophecy, that the Messiah, when he came, would be born in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem's just five miles south of Jerusalem, not that far. And yet they never went to see for themselves. They refused to go and see for themselves where this child was to be born. There's no record in the scripture of their ever going to Bethlehem to check it out. You can go on in the uh, PowerPoint, uh, the next couple things there. And it said when When Jesus does appear 30 years later, it is the religious leaders who oppose him more than anyone else. So why didn't these religious leaders go? Weren't they curious at all to see if the Messiah had been born? Maybe they had heard too many reports of false messiahs, and so they were a little bit jaded by it. Maybe uh, it was the fact that where Jesus was born was a country where shepherds were out in their fields and being a shepherd was dirty work they were considered unclean and not able to come into the temple to worship so maybe these priests just didn't want to go and be defiled but it seems that their hearts had become calloused and indifferent to the news of a messiah and there are many people today who are also indifferent to the birth of christ They enjoy the holiday. They celebrate Christmas with all of its music and decorations, the food, the gifts. They like those kind of things. But Jesus isn't really a part of it. Or they may sing the Christmas carols about Christ even and yet never really understand what they are singing about. 
One of the classic examples of that is Handel's Messiah. Just before Christmas, I had that in my car, and I was listening to the CDs of Handel's Messiah, and I'm going, man, it's just an amazing composition. I mean, how Handel could do that in three weeks and write this music and put it all together. I mean, he just kind of locked himself in his room. His servants would bring food to him, you know, and they'd find him at times just absolutely weeping, especially after he had written the Hallelujah Chorus. And they found him on his knees, and he just has tears, and he had this expression on his face like heaven had been opened, and he had seen the angels singing. He felt like this was a gift from God. And I think about that. I mean, uh, many years ago, a a number of us from our church went down to the uh, Messiah sing-along that was held at the Ordway. It was a beautiful kind of concert, and it's one of those uh, options where you can come and you can sing along with the choir and the orchestra. It's kind of a fun thing to do. But I remember looking at all those there and just wondering how many people really do know Jesus. How many of those that are here really understand what they're singing about? Is it just the music that draws them, or is it the person of Jesus Christ? And how can you sing, King of kings and Lord of lords, and he shall reign forever and ever, and not think about those words? And yet every Christmas, there are people who do that. They celebrate the holiday. They never make the connection that Jesus is the reason for the season. And just as he came once to be our Savior, soon he will come again to establish his kingdom on the earth. And that leads to this third group that are described here, that some come and worship Jesus as the newborn king. We look at the wise men in this story, and they are very fascinating. We wonder, who were these wise men? Who were these magi who came from the east to find this newborn king? They remain somewhat of a mystery because we aren't told a lot about them in the scriptures. Much of what we've heard comes from legend, frankly. Uh, They were said to be three in number because of the gifts that they brought of gold and incense and myrrh. So some thought they were three wise men. Others thought that they represented the three families of the earth, going back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, that they became sort of symbols of those different people groups that would one day come to Jesus. And that's why you'll see uh, with the three wise men uh, that one of them is black. He's an Ethiopian. Now you can see that in the nativity display that's set up out in our foyer. And you look at those wise men and those beautiful figurines that are there and you'll see the differences ethnically. Their names were given as Caspar, Balthazar, and Melchior, but we don't know that either. Those names actually came from around the 6th century as we take a look at that. What we do know is what Matthew tells us in verse 1, that during the time of Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. That's really it. I mean, that's what we're, we're told, that these Magi came from the east to find this newborn king. Now, there are some interesting clues, though, that we, that we gain both from the book of Daniel and from the history of the Magi. And here are some things that we believe about them. 
They were not kings, but they were king makers, if you will. They were advisors and counselors to kings. And we believe that they were part of an Eastern priestly class that was associated with the Medes and Persians. Some think that they actually go back to Ur at the time of Abraham. They specialized in the study of the stars and planets, but they were knowledgeable in many areas, many fields of study. They were literally wise men who studied and learned and advised their kings. And it's interesting to see in the scripture that Daniel, in that time when he was carried away into captivity in Babylon, was appointed chief of the wise men. Now, if this is the same connection, it is very likely that these wise men were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures because of Daniel and the things that he and Daniel's friends would have taught them and shared. We know from Matthew's gospel that these three wise men believed that a great king had come, that he had been born in Israel, and they came to worship him. It might have been revealed to them in a dream. It was probably related to their knowledge and study of the scriptures, but they knew that this was no ordinary child. And this sign in the heavens, this star that appeared, whether that was a conjunction, as some think, as astronomically of these planets that came together to form this star, or whether this was just a miraculous star that God placed there, they believed that this king was no ordinary child. And they wanted to come and see for themselves and worship him. You know, it's interesting how God still speaks in ways that are different, but that speak a language or a sign to a people that draws them to Jesus Christ. Throughout the Middle East today, there are people who have been seeing visions and dreams of Jesus. And Jesus directs them to find this particular person or that person and to ask them for a copy of his word. I mean, that's in essence what, what is happening through these visions and dreams that are being directed to people that are there who have the scriptures and who can tell them more about Jesus. When these wise men saw the star, they rejoiced greatly. And on coming to the house, that's what it says here in Matthew's gospel, on coming to the house, that's an indication that time has passed, that Jesus is no longer there in this cave where he was born at the back of an inn, but now they have found a place in which to stay that is a little bit more comfortable. That these wise men sought him out and they come and they bow down and worship him. And they give their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. One of the movies that we have enjoyed seeing in our family in recent years is the movie The Nativity. And I want to show you the clip from The Nativity that uh, pictures this scene of the wise men coming to Jesus. Hopefully this works. Let's see it. All right, thanks. Did you catch what they were saying? The greatest of kings born in the lowest of circumstances. That was Jesus who came to be like us and identify with us in our world. And then those gifts that they brought, which is just such an amazing part of this story. 
to bring a gift of gold for the king of all kings, to bring a gift of incense for the priest of priests, the one who would intercede on our behalf, and then to bring a gift of myrrh to honor thy sacrifice. Myrrh was used when someone died. And to think about those gifts that are so rich and significant, did they understand all of that at that time? We don't know. But God knew, and their gifts foreshadowed everything that Jesus would do. And then what is so significant in this story, too, is that here are these wise men who have come genuinely to seek and find Jesus. And they are warned by God in a dream not to go back to Herod. And they return to their country by another route. And just like that movie kind of shows the impact of this event on their life, they were changed men. There was something different about them because of their encounter with Jesus. And that's really what God desires for all of us, is that God wants all of us to come into a relationship with the Son, to bow down in worship and to give him our life and our gifts. Many years ago now it is that Gail and I and a group from our church went to Israel, and I remember that time in Bethlehem. And there is something pretty awesome about thinking that you are in the area or perhaps even the spot where Jesus was born. It's below the Church of the Nativity. You enter into this church, and it's a very, very old structure. And it is dusty and dirty, and you'll see religious icons and candles and all these things that are there. And sometimes that kind of gets in the way of it. But as you come down those steps into the area where they believe that Jesus is born, one of the things that I remembered most about that was the doorway. And they intentionally have the doorway very, very low so that everyone who enters must bow before him. And it's a picture of what is going to happen one day, that all individuals, regardless of their response in this life, will one day bow before Jesus and acknowledge that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What will your response be to him today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this most wonderful of gifts that you have given to us, your Son, Jesus Christ. And thank you for the hope that we have when we know him, that our sins are forgiven, that we can have eternal life, that we will spend eternity with you and your presence. And Father, we look forward to that day. And we know that just as Jesus came once, so he will come again to establish his kingdom on this earth. And Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that our hearts would be filled with worship and praise for you today and for what you have done. And I pray if there are any here who do not know you or any of those who may be listening that don't know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day when they would open up their heart to you, receive you as Savior, forgiveness of sins, and the eternal life that only you can give. In Jesus' name, amen.